Hey, hey, everyone, and welcome to The Impact Code, where we take deep dives into the stories and journeys of impact in the lives of our guests. Today's guest is the New York Times bestselling author of the novels Nothing to See Here, which was a read with Jenna book club selection, The Family Fang, which was adapted into an acclaimed film starring Nicole Kidman and Jason Bateman, and Perfect Little World, as well as short story collections, Tunneling to the Center of the Earth, which won the Shirley Jackson Award, and Baby, You're Gonna Be Mine. His fiction has appeared in Plowshares, Southern Review, One Story, A Public Space, and Best American Short Stories. He lives in Swanee. Tennessee with his wife and two sons. That's right. If you haven't guessed it already, today's guest is none other than Kevin Wilson. I'm so excited to be able to share this conversation with you today. It's one that truly meant a lot to me personally. But before we do that, I want to take one brief second to tell you about Tower Community Bank. Why Tower? Tower brings you today's podcast, The Impact Code, absolutely free. Tower Community Bank pays for everything about this podcast. They pay for the hosting, the marketing, all of the equipment and gear to make this podcast absolutely phenomenal. I work for Tower and one of the things that I love so much about Tower is how involved we are in the communities where we live, work and raise families. And that's because literally that is our mission. We strive in every interaction, every account, every transaction with every customer to make our communities better places to live, work, and raise families. And I can tell you in being here that we live and breathe this every day at Tower. So if you enjoy this podcast, if you're looking for somewhere to bank, head over to towercommunitybank.com and check us out. It's a great way to support the show and help us continue bringing you great interviews like today's. And now, without further ado, my conversation with Kevin Wilson. Kevin, good morning. It's an honor to have you on the Impact Code today. I just wanted to take a minute and welcome you. Oh, Brett, thanks so much. It's it's really a pleasure to to get the chance to talk to you. Yeah, the pleasure is mine. The honor is mine. And I'm excited to talk a little bit about your story today. And I gathered a little bit from other interviews and other conversations that you have had that were online. And I think we have a chance to really share uh, a lot about your life and about uh, your passion for literature and how you use that now to make an impact on the world. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. Let's do it. (laughs) All right. So I wanted to start with a quote and that quote is from your book. Now is not the time to panic, which is your latest book. Is that correct? That's right. Good. And this quote is the edge is a shanty town filled with gold seekers. We are fugitives and the law is skinny with hunger for us. Can you talk about that quote and the significance of that quote? Sure. So the initial thing is that there's the line itself has no real significance. I mean, it's a made up line. It, a lot of people are like, what does it mean? And I was like, I don't know. It's taken me, you know, 20 years to try to figure it out. But it all started um, the summer after my freshman year of college. I was at Vanderbilt University. I grew up in a small rural town, Winchester, Tennessee, and I was in Nashville. Uh, and I really loved my time in college. It was eye opening, but that first year was really difficult. I was so far behind most people, uh, class wise. I think I was realizing some things that I just wasn't advanced as some of the, some of my peers. 
And I felt kind of out of place. Mm. Um, and so that summer I was living in an apartment with my older cousin, Brian, who was about four years older than me. And I had a job working at network computing systems at the Vanderbilt University Medical Center. And it was just a summer for me to try to figure out where I was and what I wanted to do next. And it was just this stroke of, of good fortune that my cousin's best friend, this, this boy named Eric Haley, uh, was going to live with us for the summer. He was saving up money because he was moving to Los Angeles to to be an actor. He had gone to NYU film school and he had gotten his MFA in, in acting and theater at University of Alabama. And so he lived with us that summer and he was incredibly charismatic and just so much fun to be around. And he had all this like video equipment and was making these little short films and it all, he just made it all seem like art was fun mm. that first and foremost, you made things because you, you enjoyed it, but also he made it seem like anyone could do it, that there shouldn't be impediments to like expressing yourself. And, you know, to be 20 years old, 19 years old, and to hear that, you know, you have adults, your parents or like professors tell you things, but it means more, I think when it's someone closer to your own age. Mm. So that whole summer we were like making little short films, but I also had a job where my whole job was to upload the policy and procedures manual for the medical center onto the internet. This was the early days of the internet <laughs> and they didn't know what they were doing. And so they just let me uh, try it. And I was typing in HTML by hand, this 800 page policy and procedures manual <laughs> oh, man. in a closet. They had no idea what I was doing. They never knew where I was. I was just always typing. <laughs> and because I was 19, I was, I got really bored and I just started typing other things into the policy and procedures <laughs> manual and no one noticed. And I think that emboldened me and I started writing just little silly things. And I asked Eric, do you have anything you'd like me to put in there? And and he said that line, the edge is a shanty town filled with gold seekers. We are fugitives and the law is skinny with hunger for us. And I, I think partly it was just that he was so charismatic and I really liked him and looked up to him. But the minute he said it, it just burned into my brain. It was this calming, lovely, weird line that didn't make sense. And so I liked saying it over and over, trying to make sense of it. And I put it in the policy and procedures manual and it was there until 2008, I think. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> noticed until they completely redid the website. Uh, but for so long, it was there and I could check it and see it. And so, uh, for most of my life, that line's been in my head. And I have, you know, been diagnosed as an adult with Tourette's syndrome. And so, I, 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 I know that I key in on phrases. I repeat things a lot. I say things a lot. Mm -hmm. And that was just a calming line, just to say it and feel like, okay, here I am in the world. I say the line, I'm still here. And I think it's, for me, the way art works was it had lived in my head for so long that I thought, it's nice. I like it. It's mine. But what would happen if I turned it out into the world? Mm -hmm. What would happen if I did something with it and let it go out into the larger world? And so I wrote, this book really and truly when I told my agent, she was like, what's the next book? And I was like, I think it's going to be an entire book about this strange line from when I was 19. And she was like, okay, sure. Let's <laughs> give that a shot. I trust you. Uh, and I built the whole book around it. And I, you know, I didn't want it to be nonfiction. I don't write nonfiction. 
So I created a world, I created characters, but at the heart of it, I was placing this real thing at the center of the story. And a lot of times that's how art works for me is that I take this tiny little kernel of truth and then I build the fiction around it to tell a story that somebody else might, might care about. Mm. I think that's a really beautiful way to let something that is so meaningful to you live on and come to mean something to others. Because I think as people are coming into this book, they, they're also going to read the line and think, well, what does that mean? And maybe interpret it in their own way. But now as they then allow this story that you've written to sort of give context to that line, it comes to mean something to them too. It's a really neat and fascinating way to let something that means so much to you also come to mean something to others. Oh, Brett, that's a really lovely way of putting it, I think. And for me, I mean, I love writing partly because I don't know that we talk about it enough, but writing and telling stories, it really is collaborative in certain ways, which is that you are forming a relationship with the reader and you are asking the reader to help you a little bit to build that world in their mind, to interpret it the way that they need to interpret it. And, and really and truly, even though you write the book in isolation, you're still hoping for that spirit of community. You're hoping that somebody else meets you halfway, takes a chance on the book, reads it, interprets it, and forms their own response to it. And that's a huge gift to a writer for a reader to do that. So, yeah, I thrill when that happens and I'm appreciative of it. You talk a lot in other interviews about this concept of community, of family, of relationship. And from what I gather, this maybe stems from um, sort of your childhood and growing up in Winchester. Is that true? It is true. I mean, I grew up in a a small rural town in the South, Winchester, Tennessee. Um, And I'll just go ahead and say, I had a really, I've had, I had a really lovely childhood. I had two parents who really cared for me and cared about me. I had a sister who looked out for me and was wonderful. I had a group of friends that were really supportive and people I still am in touch with people who are still super close to me. Uh, But even with all those lovely, wonderful things, I just felt super isolated and I felt outside of myself a lot. Mm. There were times where the things that were inside of me, I couldn't figure out how to articulate them. And so I thought I couldn't talk about them. And that made me feel separate, even from the people who loved me the most. Mm. But also I grew up in a tiny rural town where I really wanted to know about the world, even though I was scared of it. And there were so few opportunities to really reach out and touch the larger world. And so that made me feel isolated and inside of myself. And I think that if it wasn't for writing and for art, maybe I would have stayed inside of myself. I wouldn't have felt um, confident enough to try to make myself known to the larger world. So there's ways in which you can say always like that isolation was difficult, but there's ways in which that isolation made me want even more to try to figure out how to connect with the world. Mm. Yeah. One of the lines in this book that has uh, stuck out to me and you, you'll have to correct because I know I'm going to paraphrase is that um, it's 
I felt more at home inside of myself than in the town that I lived in. And can, can you maybe clarify that, that line? And, and, but I love that line and it's one that has stuck with oh, me since, since I read it. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, I don't think it's a unique feeling for so many people, but yes, you have a body and you live in the world and you have responsibilities and people who depend on you and, and people that you care about. But sometimes that can feel overwhelming. And sometimes even as you're doing all those things, it doesn't quite feel real or mm. that you're waiting maybe for when you finally become the person that you want to be. And this is all just practice. And for me, no matter how overwhelming the world got, um, the imagination inside of me, the world that I would build, the stories I would tell myself, or even the ways in which I remembered real things and tried to work through them to figure out like, what did they mean? Living inside of my head was such a, in some ways, a more comfortable place for me to be mm. that even though I love the world around me, there were stresses that made it necessary for me to live in my head a little bit mm -hmm. in order to process that stuff and figure a way through. Yeah. I, I relate to this so much and I know a lot of our listeners do as well is this, this feeling of not quite feeling like you fully fit where you see yourself fitting in the world. Like there's just something a little bit amiss or there's a, a piece maybe just missing and it can be very isolating. And I think one of the beautiful things about literature and about your writing specifically is it has a way of seeing the reader and help the, the reader feel seen then and can say, Hey, I'm not the only one that feels this feeling. And I think a lot of us, Kevin struggle with articulating that feeling. And I think that's, what's so beautiful about putting your experience in to a story in this way um, where it's maybe a little indirect and maybe it's, it's fictionalized and there's, there's other context is that when it's articulated in a way that maybe I don't have the capacity to do because I'm not as maybe as gifted as words in that specific way, I can look at that and say, that's what I've been feeling. And then I don't feel so alone. And I think that's a really beautiful way to have an impact on the world and to have a way to build relationship and to build connection and to build community with the people around you. I, th I think that's really lovely. And I, I do think that's at the heart of what I want to do with my work is that, yes, you can live inside of yourself, but if you live entirely inside of yourself, um, you'll never be challenged, but also like no one will ever truly know you. Mm -hmm. And there's something seductive about never going out into the world of only living inside your own mind and that's for me why reading books or really watching movies or even just hearing people talk about their own experiences, it was so helpful for me in that maybe I couldn't articulate it, but to hear it made me feel less alone because I'd think, oh, not exactly what you're saying, but I feel parts of that. Yeah. And I thought maybe I was the only one. And when I write, again, it's it's for me. I like I get pleasure out of writing, but there's also the hope that you send that story out into the world. And it's not like, oh, I'm going to be mega famous and I'm going to make millions of dollars. You don't care mm -hmm. about that. You just want maybe somebody out there hears it, they read it and they think, oh, yes, I know that feeling. Mm -hmm. I, I know that, too. And that's what books did for me at, at a young age. And, and in so many ways, even though you're not present when the connection is made, 
that's what you're hoping for. Uh, those moments of silent connection with the larger world. When did you realize that literature would have a big impact on your life or that it was having a oh, big, big impact on your life? Yeah. I mean, I've loved reading forever since I was little, you know, books have been these transformative things for me and, and uh, made me feel less alone in the world. And honestly, I think I would have been happy spending my whole life just as a reader yeah. and doing whatever else I was going to do. I would still be happy to have that. But I think when I went to college again at, at Vanderbilt, um, I started to take writing classes. And one, it was one of the first times where I felt like, uh, oh, you know, this this means something to me. I'm going to work extra hard to get better at it. And that I didn't mind. I think, you know, you really love something when you don't mind failing all the time at it. Mm. It actually makes you more excited to go back in and keep trying. Yeah. And when you discover whatever that passion is, I think, you know, it's clicking when you say it's actually okay to fail because it'll help me get better and do what I want to do and you stick with it. And so I think in college I knew, but again, I'm just such, I feel lucky in so many ways. My parents, you know, my mom didn't go to college. My, you know, my dad, they both appreciated education and reading and art, but uh, I'm sure I was foreign to them in some ways. And I told them one summer I wanted to try to be a writer. And I think most parents would have said the first question would be, well, how are you going to support yourself? Mm. Are you ever going to leave our house? Like what's going to happen? But, and I think that my parents had that anxiety. How could they not? Right. It's your child. Right. But the very first thing that my dad said was, if you want to do that, you should do it. Mm. And to have that permission from a person that I loved uh, meant the world. And so that even if I, even if it didn't work out, to have had that person at that moment, instead of resisting, say, try, do your best and see if it works. And then the minute I had that permission, I just locked in mm. and I knew I'm going to I have support. Um, I'm not going to have to fight to try to make it like happen to the people who love me so I can go all in on this and I can work as hard as I want and know that, you know, even if it doesn't work out, I did everything I could. And that was huge. And yeah. I do think in so many ways, that was a road that opened up that I knew, uh, okay, now it's time to, to try as hard as I can to make it work. That's a really beautiful gift to give as a parent, I think, is that safe place to land and that permission to, and maybe even permission isn't the right word, but it does feel like permission when you're a kid and when you don't understand maybe even the reality of the risks that you're taking and pursuing a dream that um, not everyone is successful in. And right. if you're doing that and also having to worry about the approval of your parents or knowing that your parents are worrying about you and that burden is then placed on you on top of trying to make your dream happen, it can be such a crushing weight to have to carry. <laughs> yeah. So what, what a it's gift. It's so true. It is. And I think about that now I'm a teacher and, you know, thinking about community is I have students that come to me and they say, I really want to do this. And obviously like not every one of them is going to make it or be successful. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean you just blindly tell every single person like, Hey, don't be a doctor, go be a writer. You should just do this thing. It's, you can ask questions and say like, well, how are you going to make time for it? How are you going to make sure that you stay true to it? Even when other people aren't asking you to do it. 
but I always try first and foremost to say like, if that's what you want, I hope that there's a way in which you can make that an important part of your life. Uh, as much as I can, I try to be a person that allows people to have the permission to try. Yeah. Even if they fail, you want to be the first point to say, here's the things you should think about, but do it if you want to do it. Mm. That Again, I think that's just such a beautiful gift to be able to give someone is that it, it feels like then there's a safe place to land. Uh, I think in a lot of ways that if you fail that, you know, and I think failure is always, um, maybe a little subjective too, but if you move into that place where you feel like you failed, you at least can have the benefit of knowing that everyone around you was rooting for you or at least one person was rooting for you and they were in your corner and they, they wanted you to succeed. And Kevin, I'm curious, and I'm going to use your words here. Um, the, not my own words, but I saw in an interview where you had mentioned, I wasn't always the best writer in my mind. I think you're a great writer, but you had said, you had said, I I wasn't always the best writer, um, in undergrad maybe, or even beyond. Um, but that you just had maybe a tenacity or a a desire to keep going and to keep coming back to the stories and, and keep trying um, do you think that's what has helped you be successful? Decide because I think a lot of people look from the outside and they're like, it's talent. Um, but but what do you think helped you be successful when maybe it wasn't the innate talent? Yeah, and I mean, Brett, I think in any endeavor, it requires a certain base level of ability, right? Yeah, <laughs> like of even like if you want to play in the national basketball association, like (laughs) you need a baseline level of talent, you know, no amount of hard work is going to get you there. Maybe if, if the talent is not there. So, and that, you know, who knows that's, that's in some ways, some of that is things you can't control, but on some level, what I knew was, um, even though I, I, I loved what I was doing and I, I think I was good at it for the level I was at, I was never the best and that was fine. I I didn't care. It didn't feel like a competition, first of all, but Mm -hmm. also I always felt like I was making progress and I was happy and it was enjoyable to do it. Um, But I think there's a moment for some of my peers. And again, this is all hindsight, but for some of my peers, I think they won. Sometimes they found things that they loved more mm-hmm. and that was great. They went on and did something else because they derived more joy uh, from that. But I think there were other people who, when they met with resistance, they thought of that as the universe telling them it's time to try to do something else. Or even they thought, I'm never going to be good enough to ever succeed we were so young. It's such a strange thing to think when you're 21 that the world is telling you you'll never succeed in this thing. Mm. And for me, what I knew was I, I didn't, obviously, I would rather be successful and get all, you know, every publication and have people tell me I'm a genius. But that wasn't my <laughs> primary goal. And I didn't care if the story didn't work. I didn't care if I got rejected when I submitted things or my first novel got rejected. It certainly hurt. I wished it hadn't happened, but that was not going to stop me from moving forward. And there's just some, you know, and this is the narrative that I tell myself, and it may not be true, but when other people quit, I just kept 
moving forward. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, I didn't necessarily suddenly get better than everybody else. I just outlasted a lot of people. Mm. You know, I was still there at the end of the day working so that when I finally hit my stride, when I finally merged like craft with talent, um, I was still doing it. And so when I finally reached like the potential that I hoped I would reach, um, I was still in that world and I could take advantage of it. Whereas I think other people, they moved on to other things. And so I, I stuck with it. Was there or were there moments where you felt the opposite, where you really wanted to throw in the towel and, and maybe try something different? Well, I think that's a good question. And maybe now I'm rewriting my narrative a little bit in my head, but <laughs> I think there were times where I thought, um, it's hard to say because maybe I thought there were times in my life where I thought I am never maybe going to publish a book mm. and maybe I'm never going to, um, like have a career where I am able to support myself by writing so those doubts certainly crept in, but at the heart of it, I thought, but I could still write, mm. I could still make stuff. I could still share it with people. I could still find ways to be a part of this world, even if it wasn't 100% my life. So even when I met with resistance, I never thought about quitting because this is not the same as like saying, I want to be a surgeon. And if I don't pass medical school, well, I can still just operate on people in my spare time. Like, no, like there's a limit. You can't do that. But with writing, I could always do it. It just may have been under different circumstances. So even when I had those moments of doubt, it, it didn't keep me from moving forward. Mm. Was there a moment that you started to feel like a, maybe like a quote unquote real writer? Yeah. I mean, every step of the way, I felt like that. The first time I had a professor tell me that they thought the story that I wrote was good, that made me feel closer to achieving what I wanted. And that was great. And the first time I got a story published in a literary magazine, it was the most incredible feeling in the world. You know, I thought, okay, someone is going to publish this story and other people will see it and read it. And that made me feel like a real writer. And the First time I got an agent who was going to represent me and try to help me figure out how to get my work to a larger audience, that made me feel like a real writer. I think maybe, Brett, what I'm trying to say is like, I don't know that I ever totally felt like, ah, this is the singular moment. Mm -hmm. It was a series of building blocks along the way that every single time, it wasn't necessarily like, I'm a real writer now. It was, I am continuing to do this thing that I love. And here are the things that when I look back, those will be the markers that I remember. Ah, that was a thing that kept me going. That was a thing that kept me going. Um, and I try to remember those because, you know, you tell your children or your students, I was like, I had a story published in a tiny literary magazine that's no longer even around. And to them, it may <laughs> seem like, oh, well, that's not a huge, maybe a huge thing. And you say, yeah, but at that moment in my life, that was the most important thing. And it gave me the inspiration to keep going forward. So I love those markers. And I love trying to tell my students and my children, just remember those moments, you know, to keep track of them, because that's, that's the narrative that helps explain how you got where you're going to be. 
how do you, when, when you have those moments, how do you integrate those and integrate those wins and help yourself remember? Do you have any, any sort of, I guess, process for that, for people who might be listening, um, who struggle. And the reason I ask Kevin is because I'm someone who struggles to really integrate wins in my life. If, if I'm being transparent, like I'll, I'll accomplish something that I've had my eyes on for a while and I'll, I'll do the thing, you know, sometimes and I'll, I'll get it done. But then it's hard for me to remember that then in the next six months when I'm working towards another, a new goal. And it's hard for me to sort of integrate that into a recognizable new version of myself. Ah, man. Yeah. Who doesn't feel that? And I feel that as well. And, and I mean, just a small story that's really brief, but I'm, I'm working on another novel and I went away for a week uh, to work on it. And I called my wife, who's also a writer, and I told her I'm I'm deep into this book. And I called her and I said, I don't know if this one's going to work. Like, I just don't know if I can do this. And it just feels like it's not quite coming together how I had hoped. And my wife said, you know, every single book that you have ever written, and we've been married the entire time I've been writing. Mm-hmm. She said, every time you say this to me, you say it for every single book. There's a point like halfway into it where you tell me, I think I'm going to throw it away. I don't know if I can do it. And she said, but you all always figure out a way mm. to keep moving forward. And that was helpful because I feel blind to that a little bit that I'm always kind of telling myself, oh, you're going to fail. You're not going to make it. And it is nice, like even if it's an outside person to remind me, hey, you've done it before and maybe this one doesn't work, but it doesn't mean you'll never do it again. Mm. And to remind me of like, yes, we all have those anxieties and maybe it's part of the process, but you have to trust in what you've done and know that you've built the skills necessary to move forward. And so maybe it took that person telling me, reminding me like, yes, you feel that way right now. And that's an anxiety and it could ruin you, but you've always fought through it in the past. And that's helpful. Sometimes you need that outside voice to remind you to ground yourself. Um, So yeah, sometimes I don't feel like I appreciate those, those moments where I make advances. Sometimes all I think about are the times where I didn't quite advance the way I'd hoped so sometimes you do need that person you trust to remind you that it's still possible. I feel that too. And I, I definitely resonate with the fact that having someone on the outside who can remind you of that and just help bring perspective to, cause I think sometimes your focus narrows, you almost get tunnel vision towards uh, an outcome happening one very specific way. And when it feels like that's not happening in the way that you thought it might like it feels very difficult to process and to let go of so someone from the outside that can say hey look remember that time when now your perspective is widening and you're like oh yeah I I did do that thing and I didn't think I was going to and having someone who can sort of remind you who you are I think is so important so and then and you know Brett and listening to your podcasts, and um, I think one of the things that's really fascinating is listening to all these people who are creative in all these different ways. And and you think, oh, well, they're successful because they've done the same thing every single time and they've stayed true to that single method. And that's how they figured out this winning recipe. But 
oftentimes it's not that mm. it's that each new experience you can rely on what you've done in the past, but it's part of it is the, the slight anxiety, but also the joy of like discovering that new way to do this thing that you weren't capable of doing before. And, and I think that's what I love hearing people talk about like, Oh, and then I tried this new project or this new thing. And I relied mm. on these skills that I had built up, but it did require me to do something different. It mm. required me to kind of push past those initial things to, to make it special. Yeah. It's almost in some ways like life is a story. And these are, these are maybe each individual small stories of your life that there's this, this problem or challenge that you want to apply something that you applied in the past. And sometimes it may work if you apply the exact same thing, but a lot of times life or the universe or however God, however you think about that specific thing is maybe calling a new version of us forward. There's a new demand placed on us. There's a, a new way that we have to think or behave to overcome that obstacle and to end up in a better place or as a new person on the other side of that, or as a new version of ourselves. And I think your writing also captures this feeling really well is your writing specifically is one that really resonates with me in a meaningful way. And I, Kevin, there's some, some parts of your writing that are so just fun and interesting. And to be honest, weird, like, um, like spontaneous combustion is one theme that, um, you know, comes up in a lot of your works. Where does that come from? <laughs> I'll take, and weird is a compliment to me. I actually have had a few people tell me they're like, you use the word weird in your books in multiple ways, but almost always in a nice way. Right. You know, That's you don't right. mean it in a pejorative way. Yes. I, I don't have a, I have a pretty limited vocabulary. <laughs> spontaneous human combustion, I've written about a lot in multiple books and and uh, I've kind of got the market cornered on that, yeah, I think, I in think literature. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty, pretty wide open field and I'm, I'm in it. But I think, you know, so many of these things go back to when you're young, when those formative moments. And I, when I was 10, I read some book about mysteries of the unknown and Bigfoot and UFOs. And it mentioned spontaneous human combustion where, you know, there was this idea that people could just burst into flames. And when you're 10 years old and you read that, you think, oh my God, I hope that doesn't happen to me. <laughs> and then you think about it for a long time and you think, oh, but maybe that would be kind of cool, you know, who yeah, knows? Yeah. And because I had Tourette's and I had all these like jitters and ticks and weird feelings internal, I thought, oh, you know, maybe I am going to burst into flames. And it just felt like an easy thing to me, which is not not metaphorical, but just you know, there is the person we are on the outside and there's the person we are on the inside. And oftentimes, you know, that they can become very close. You can represent who you are on the inside to, to the rest of the world, but they're never going to be exact. Mm. And I love thinking about that, who, what animates you on the inside and what do you choose to make known to the world? And sometimes you can't control it. Sometimes who you are internally just announces itself mm -hmm. and you can't hold it back or you can't control it. And I'm interested in that play between those two things. And, you know, when we had kids, we have my wife and I have two, two boys. When I would, you know, when you have kids and you're watching them try to reconcile all these feelings inside of themselves that they don't understand 
how do they like control that in the larger world? And there were times where I thought my children were going to burst into flames in public because they knew what they wanted, but they also knew that there were things that were making it difficult. They hadn't lived long enough to fully understand that. And I could watch them and think, oh yeah, I, I forget sometimes what it felt like at that young age to not fully know how to control these things. So I write about it a lot. I, I think I still write about those early initial feelings of where you're not sure. You know, it's always your first time is always more thrilling than the 50th time. You know, when you first discover something really interesting, mm -hmm. that's what I like to write about. Yeah, the first, I think the first is it stands out in your memory forever, whether it, and I think in a positive, like if it's a positive experience or it's a negative experience, it, yeah. the first always tend to leave this mark that is, is really hard to like move on from or really hard to maybe like go of or really hard to forget about in some ways. Yeah, I think it's, it, you just, you put it perfectly, Brett, like positive or negative. That first experience is the experience by which you measure everything else. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that it has to always be that same way or the first time is the best time. And in fact, a lot of my books are about people finally figuring out that they can't live in the past or that first experience doesn't mean that they're going to be a failure the rest of their lives. It's about marking it and moving forward. But yeah, you, you base everything off of that first experience and you, and you listen to other people's first experiences and you try to figure out why yours wasn't exactly like that. Um, and then you start to come to the realization that like everyone's narrative is different so you can move forward. Yeah, I, I think that's so well said. I, I'm just sort of chuckling to myself because the, the past couple of months have transparently been really challenging for me mentally. And it's been it's been a struggle for me in comparing myself and my experience over the past couple months with that of other people that maybe I know their experience. Maybe I don't probably not fully because I don't think we can really ever know anyone's full experience on the inside as you were talking about sort of those two selves that live in, in juxtaposition. But I resonate with that because a lot of my, I don't know if misery, I, maybe not a miserable person, but a lot of the, the angst or the mental struggle that I've had over the past couple months has been two things. One, feeling like the person that I was putting out into the world was not congruent with who I know I am on the inside, that I had hurt people that I loved in ways that weren't fair to them. And it felt really difficult to see myself in the world in that way and to not take that on as an identity, but just to know sometimes, you know, good people make mistakes and they do things that do hurt other people. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was, that was a really big piece of it. And the other piece was really just in the comparison and in seeing other people and like, man, why, mm -hmm. why am I the one that's really struggling with this? Or like, why is this my, and I think sometimes, it's really hard not to ask why or why me, but in, but I think in those moments and I'm just sort of processing out loud with you here is like, I, yeah. I tend to, when I ask why and not like, okay, so this is the situation that I'm in now. What, 
what would the best version of me do moving forward? Or how can I be more in alignment with that best self? As I'm hearing you speak, I'm just realizing in a lot of ways, maybe I've been looking at the wrong markers or asking the wrong questions about myself. Oh, Brett, like I, I feel connected to you in this respect and that like the last, I would say since, since the start of the year, I felt like, uh, like the effort that I've put forth, like in like the work that I need to do is like, uh, lacking, you know, yeah, but also yeah. like I, cause I'm trying also to like take care of myself at the same time. Like I got to make sure that I'm doing the things I need to do, but that also sometimes means that I'm failing other people. And, right. and it, it's again, it, I tend, I think because maybe sometimes I get too in my head about writing narratives is that I tend to move towards like the cataclysmic, like, Oh, Mm. things are not working out. Well, I've failed a couple of people. And now like, this is the end. I'm going to like ruin all this. I'm going to have to like figure out and quit and do something else. And, and again, my wife and other people too, but they, I have sometimes need that reminder of like, you're trying too hard to write a narrative before it's even ended, you're trying to already Mm. anticipate like, okay, I'm not measuring up. I'm not as good as these people. And as if like the ending has already been written, like Mm. you think, you know how the story's going to go because you're so used to writing stories. And also you're so used to like getting anxious about these things. And I have to remind myself that like, okay, like the only full story is, is from birth to death. Right. Right. And nobody is ever going to know, you know, that story looks very simple when it's completely finished, but when you're in the middle of it, it's a bunch of little stories that you're writing and you think, Oh, you've reached the end, but you're not, you're moving into another narrative. And Mm. there are just times where I'm like, okay, you think this is going to end badly. You're a writer. Is there a way to rewrite the narrative so you can save yourself? So you can help the people that you need to help and be accountable to yourself and that's the challenge. Like even when your writer brain thinks, you know, the ending to try to like find a different way to write that narrative. And that can be really hard, but I do think that's what i sometimes have to do. And it happens again and again, but I have to keep telling myself like you're failing, but you're not always going to fail. There is a way through this. You got to get creative and, and, and find your way to it. Yeah. I think that's, that's really well said. Kevin, I know that you're also, so in addition to being an author, you're a professor, you're a dad of two. And how do you figure out how to prioritize all of this? Because I imagine writing from what I understand is a very time consuming process. So how do you balance all of these things that are on your plate in a way where you sort of are writing the narrative with the most congruent version of you coming forth. Yeah. So, I mean, I love writing and it's, it's how I, you know, in some ways it's how I make the bulk of my living. Mm -hmm. So it is important. Like it's necessary. It's, it's one of the ways in which I support myself and my family, but like you said, I also teach and that's, if you want to be good at it, it's a full-time job and you have to be available to the students and you have to, even when you're not in the classroom with them, you're thinking about them, you're strategizing ways to help them learn. So that's a lot of time. I also have a wife and I really love being with her and I don't want when I'm with her to be thinking about, 
uh, the book that I'm not writing mm-hmm. or the papers that I'm not grading. And I have children who absolutely do not care <laughs> if I need to write a book. Right. And if they want me to shoot baskets or watch a show with them, I don't want to live a life where I'm like, well, no, I've got to go write my novel. There are times where you have to do that, but you're trying to balance all these things. And for me, I just don't want any of these things, even though sometimes they are, I don't ever want anything to feel like a chore that I have to do uh, that's just joyless. Mm. And so if writing, if I can't do it that day or that week or that month, I don't want to feel like a failure and I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to put my time and energy into teaching and being with my kids. Mm. And so that when the time opens up, I'll know I'll come back to it. And it's hard. And it's every single week is a different juggling act of what you prioritize. But I just don't ever want to feel like, oh, because I'm not doing this one thing, I'm failing. So I try to be really good with myself. And and maybe it's because I'm a little bit of a lazy person, but I try not to get too down on myself when I don't write. I try to remember all the other things that I needed to do that week. And those things were important too. But it is a balance. And then there's that moment where you think, okay, I have this idea. I'm really excited about it. I have a deadline. It's time to grind and get to work. And then I have to do that. And that means I'm not as present uh, in the world. That's the trade-off, you know? Mm. And every single, it's not a year-to-year thing. It's a day-to-day, week-to-week decision. What do I prioritize in order to be like effective and to be present? It's hard. But everybody, you know, not writers, not artists, every single person in the world, every single day is having to prioritize, here are the things I care about, here are the things that I need to do, here are the things people need from me, and you can't do it all, so you make those decisions. And hopefully, as you get older, you get better at prioritizing. I really admire, Kevin, how you think about sort of balancing your time between these things, but I I do think there are a lot of people who get themselves into a position where they've maybe lost sight of what was important to them. You know, like maybe they took Mm -hmm. a job that they weren't in love with for their family because they wanted to provide more for their family, but then maybe they started having some success and they end up giving up a lot of time with their family to invest in their career And maybe their priorities have shifted, but I think for a lot of people, it's easy to forget the why behind sort of how you set up your days and how you set up your hours and your weeks and your months. And so I do, I I just have so much admiration for how you, you set up your process and the fact that I even heard you say in an interview, you know, that you don't write every day which I think is maybe counter what I've heard other authors say on podcasts or interviews where they're like, if you're a writer, you have to write every single day. And if you didn't, you're not writing a thousand yeah. words a day, you you're not a real, you know, not a quote unquote real writer. Um, but, but I think that maybe what you're doing here can be really encouraged for encouraging for people and showing them that you can set up your life in a way that is meaningful to you based on your own unique values and the things that, matter to you. And you can stay true to that. Even when the demands of certain things may come and go, you can still stay true to those things. And I mean, I, you know, Brett, like I, I love listening to people's process and people talk about their work. Like Mm -hmm. it's fascinating Mm -hmm. to me. And I don't mean just artists. I mean, just anyone like 
I'm just, you know, anyone that has a level of ability at what they do, I love hearing them talk about it. And I think a lot of times, you know, and from being a writer, but also from having kids where you read like a thousand books on how to raise children yeah. and they're all different. <laughs> yes. And each one of them sounds like they, you know, they're like, if you don't do this, you will fail, yeah, you know? Right. And for me, that can be really anxiety inducing. And But mm-hmm. what's lovely is when you, when you listen to so many different people, uh, you hear all their different ways in which they solve the the problems that they face. And it's not that I think, ah, that's the only way to do it. It makes me super happy because I'm like, oh, this person wrote this book in a completely different way than I would. And here's their process. And it's great. I can think about what what could I do that mimics that? But how am I going to like bend it to fit my own needs and the own way that I do things? There is no set way to be successful. Like mm-hmm. I think that's just proven again and again it is good to hear other perspectives and to listen to how people process the world around them. But like you, eventually you have to make it your own personal thing Mm -hmm. in order to be successful. And one just small thing I would say that's been really helpful for me is that I try to make everything that I do feel like it connects in some way. So I know this sounds really silly, but like having children I know has made me a better teacher (laughs) because I'm all I'm I'm getting older. I'm 46 years old. My students are always going to be between 18 and 21 yeah. and you start to feel that distance. You're like, "Okay, you know, I got to make sure that I'm still thinking about their needs." And having children has been helpful in that respect where I'm like, "Okay, just remember what your child needed at this time. Remember what it was like when you were that age." Mm. So that having children has made me maybe a more empathetic teacher, but also being a teacher has made me a more empathetic parent, Mm -hmm. like to realize that there's no set way that a student learns. So like to expect my children to do exactly this thing, the way I envision it is maybe not setting themselves up for success. And when I write, I'm thinking about like, Oh, the world that I live in. And so the stories that I write are meaningful to me because they're connected to the things that I care about so all of these various things, even though they're different, I'm always trying to figure out, well, how does that connect in some meaningful way to these other things so that even when I'm not writing, even when I'm not teaching, even when I'm not with my wife or my kids, I'm feeling the lines of connection between all of these things. Mm-hmm. And I think in a lot of ways that then becomes a way to find a lot more meaning in life is that when you do start to connect all of those things and you start to see how those pieces that feel that could feel somewhat disconnected are connected. Um, I think it helps things feel a, a lot more meaningful. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, I think that's one of the joys of living in this world is those moments when you realize the interconnectedness of things that you didn't think were connected yeah. And it's always a little scary when you don't find those lines of connection where you're like, this thing is all alone on its own. This thing that I'm doing, there's nothing that keeps me connected to the things that I care about. It's probably not true one, but it's really scary when you don't see those lines of connection. So for me, I'm always trying to remind myself, you know, whatever you're doing, there's a way in which it feeds into these other things that you care about. Yeah. Do you Kevin have, do you ever just write for fun? So do you have any segment of your writing that is like, Hey, this is for no one else, but just for me. And maybe that's all of it. But do you, do you ever have like a a practice of, Hey, I'm just going to just try to see those lines of meaning, or I'm just going to 
sit down and, and write? Is that a part of your life in any way? Oh yeah. I mean, I write for fun a lot, which is, it's not towards thinking like, ah, this is a thing I'm going to publish or this is my next novel. Um, it's just like anything like art is just like exercise and that the more that you do it, the easier it comes to, you know, if you haven't like, if you haven't run in six months and you go running, you can feel it, you know, but if you, if you do it every single day, even the days that you don't want to, it's a little easier to find your way back into it. Mm -hmm. I think writing is like that. It's helpful to just, even if it's a little small amount, try to like, Hey, let me just mess around with these sentences. Here's a story I'm interested in, but I don't know if I really want to pursue it. And I find that stuff really fun. And I do that with my students. We do all these exercises where like one, every single day you can do it is you just, you just think of six random words, two nouns, two verbs, two adjectives. And you try with these six random words to write the beginning of a story where you use all six of them. Oh, that's fun. And so it's random and strange, but if you do that every morning, I would say, let's say you do it every morning for a week, six of those seven are not going to be very good. And you're not going to be interested. You're like, well, I messed around with it, but, but one of those seven will be something that has the groundwork for something you really want to keep pursuing. And so that's how I kind of think of it is I just mess around. I scribble down stuff, little lines that I hear people say, I'll write them down. And most of that stuff never goes anywhere. It's fun to look at it and write it. It makes me feel like I'm doing my exercise, but every once in a while you hit. And if I wasn't doing that every day, you wouldn't hit, you know, Mm. and I don't even call that writing. It's just fun. You know, it's just messing around. It's just play. I love that. Kevin, I want to change gears just a little bit. And I'm just curious because you talk a lot about in young adulthood and teenage years, feeling like you really struggled to find your place in the world. Do you feel like now you found it or do you feel like it's a continuous journey for you? Yeah, it's a continuous journey. Like the story is not over in any way. Like I'm, you know, I live on a mountain in Tennessee and, um, and there are things that are really lovely about living in a small community, but there are things that are incredibly stressful about it. And I'm, I work, I I really love like these things, like talking to someone like you, who's really engaged and interesting. These are always really fun, but, but there are times where you go do events and you're just so nervous. You don't know what you're walking into. You feel a little like ill prepared or that you're not going to say something interesting or even just walking through the world every day is a struggle for me. I'm anxious most of the time. And so, yeah, it's, it's constant. And each day is like a little marker of what did I do? How did I do that can be overwhelming, but for me, it's necessary because I have to keep building up like a frame of reference. So I don't get overwhelmed. So I don't think like, Oh, I had a weird day today. I had a strange interaction. I got super anxious in this moment. And so I need to remember like, okay, but you have these things, you have this, this is how you're going to keep moving forward. It's not the end of you. Mm-hmm. I tend to hyper like <laughs> catastrophize. So I'm like, I had, I said a weird thing to a person at the post office yeah. and I'm like, and now we need to move, <laughs> you know, like now I got to go to California and we can't ever see this person again. 
that's how I react to situations. So yeah, I need every day to kind of recalibrate and be like, no, no, that's okay. You can do this. So yeah, but I do always, I'll never not feel anxious in the world. But my hope is that the longer I stay alive, every single day is more evidence that I can keep going. Mm. And it's less scary than when I was 12, 13, 14, when I had so little reference that every little anxiety inducing moment, I thought this is, this is the end. Like, how could I, how am I going to get past that each? And that's for me, the huge thing is like, just stay in the world long enough to fail and succeed enough times that you know that you can keep going. Mm. And that's, that's for me, what, what, uh, I think keeps, keeps me moving forward. It's a really beautiful way to say that, Kevin. Do you, do you think parenting has also helped with that? Like, cause I imagine your kids are, they, they have similar struggles, right. And feeling maybe out of place or trying to find their place in the world, especially as they start to get past like six, seven years old. Um, has that been helpful for you in sort of understanding how you fit in the world and in helping provide perspective to them? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to, I think if, I, I don't want to say like, Hey, everyone should have a kid. It'll make yeah, you a better of course. person. Cause, <laughs> of course. Because like, it, I don't know that it's been a huge challenge for me in some ways, me but too. I know ultimately that my life has been made better by um, having these children in my life and having a family that's keeps me connected to the world. And it's been really lovely because there's, I have two boys and they're very different and I am similar to them in very specific ways and different. And that's just really rewarding to know like, okay, here is the way in which they're different from me. How do I like make sure that I understand them? They also force me to like keep staying connected to the world and thinking about their lives and trying to imagine what it's like for them. And, and then I have to remember what it was like when I was their age, which maybe I wouldn't think about as much if I didn't have kids mm -hmm. to, you know, who wants to remember when they were 14 years old? It's, it's a little uh, difficult. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, kids for me is one. I think that I am working really hard to kind of help them figure out what the world is like and to make them happy and figure out ways to teach them how to take care of themselves and be better people and be a, citizen of the world but yeah they've made me try to work harder to like think about where i am mm -hmm. uh, and it's made me a better writer it's made me a better person it's not been easy and it's super difficult and there are times where i'm like oh my god i think i have made a huge mistake yeah. <laughs> like i am yeah. failing in so many ways but at the end of the day like what it has given me has just i i can't imagine a world where i don't have them. So yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's hugely important. It, it keeps me grounded. I resonate with everything that you just said there. 100%. So as we're sort of drawing to a close here, our, our podcast is, is all about impact. And I, I think we've talked a lot about that theme, even though we haven't said that word directly today, but Kevin, one of the things that I'd love to hear from you is, is right now. And I think this maybe changes from time to time, but right now, what is the impact that you're hoping to make with 
with what you're doing, with the work that you're doing, whether it's the, the professorship, whether it's parenting, whether it's um, authoring your next book, um, how are you thinking about impact in your life and the impact that you'll, you hope to make? Yeah, uh, I think, I, I mean, I will say I don't think about this a lot. I think <laughs> it would be overwhelming if you were always thinking about the impact, yeah, but yeah. you know, um, but for me, it's like one is always my books that I write are a way for me to try to like connect with the larger world, to put these things out there and to create a conversation, even if it's, uh, even if I'm not present for it, that's huge to me. And, and when I get emails or letters from people who have read the book and they makes them think about something in a different way, or it makes them reach out to me to tell them something that they've considered or thought about, or want to ask me to engage in that, that's really wonderful. And I feel like it's really great. Um, but for me, like the larger thing in terms of impact is, uh, I'll just say it in a really kind of brief way, but like, I think that there can be in writing this danger of like, you're like, I want to write the big great American novel, something mm. super huge that talks to every single person in the world and like resonates with everyone. And that's just, um, you're destined for failure. Mm. Like the more you try to like encompass every single thing. And there's this writer, Stephen Milhauser, who says this, this very brief little thing, but he says, you know, if you write about, instead of writing about the entire world, if you write about a single grain of sand, but you write about it uh, as, as perfectly as you can, focusing on that small little piece, the reader won't just see that grain of sand. They'll see all the other grains of sand on the beach. Mm. They'll see the ocean that touches that sand. They'll see the ship that's on that ocean. And they'll see the country all the way on the other side of the ocean. Mm. That in trying to render this very small thing perfectly, you can embody the whole world. Mm. And so I think about that all the time, which is, for me, the books are super important. But, but also it's teaching my students when I see them in class every single day, it's to try to form meaningful connections, to teach them how to think, to teach them how to like access their own voice so that they'll be successful or they'll make themselves known. It's about being a part of my kids' lives in ways that make them know that I'm present and I care about them. It's about living in this very small community on top of a mountain in Tennessee <laughs> and like small things like doing volunteer work, uh, coaching my son's basketball team, um, being present with all of these people. And even though it feels like, oh, that's only the small little mountain town, it resonates and resonates and resonates. And that's where I can put most of my effort. And so much of my life, I think when I was young was, oh, do this big thing. Mm. And now what I realize is if I do the small thing as well as I possibly can, it will have more of an impact. If I can focus on the individual or the community, uh, those people will go out into the world, right? It will resonate in ways that I can't anticipate or know, but what I can control is that tiny grain of sand. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for that answer. For those who are maybe on the the front side of their career and trying to find their place in the world. Kevin, do you have any advice on, you know, maybe they, they know they want to do something in the world. And I think maybe this goes back a little bit to your last answer and it, it maybe ties into that very, very well. You know, what would you tell them about finding their place and about making an impact? I think, you know, this is hard because I remember that same feeling of, of wanting that. And 
for me, I think there's, it's, it's two different things. And one is to really, whatever it is that you want to do or whatever it is that you want to eventually be, it's to really put your whole heart into it, that you, you don't do it by half measures. If you want to be a writer, you have to write, you have to like try as much as possible to learn the elements of craft so that each day you're getting better at figuring out how to make yourself known to the world. So yes, you have to focus on yourself. You have to improve yourself. You have to acquire skills. And so, yes, that's one. But then the second thing is to be expansive and to look as widely as possible for examples of what it is that you want to do. And so for me as a writer, Yes, I have to get better. I have to improve my own skills and craft, but I have to read as much as I possibly can, as widely as I can, so that you know what's out there. And it's not that you steal, but the more you see other examples, the more you think, ah, that's the way I could get, I can solve this problem. So it's a weird thing, but if you find yourself at it and you're young and you want to make an impact or you want to figure out how to like achieve what you want to achieve, you have to like look inward as much as possible and then tie that to looking outward at all the wonderful examples that exist already in this world to remind yourself of what is possible. Mm. And so, yeah, again, it's, it's inward and outward over and over again. Yeah. Well said, my friend. So Kevin, I want people to check out your books and I hope they do. I, I myself um, have read nothing to see here. Um, I've read now is not the time to panic and both have really had a a big impact on me. And, um, so first, thank you for those works. Um, and, and I'm going to continue looking into your, your other works as well. I know you have, is it, is it four or five novels now? Gosh, I don't know. I think it's five. I think it's five novels and two, four four and two short story works. Four novels and two short stories. Yes. yes. So uh, where can people find these works if, if they are interested? And again, if you're listening, I, I highly encourage you check out Kevin's work. It's, it's, it's weird. It's fun, but it also finds a way to take this juxtaposition of the inside and the outside of sort of your world and, and finding your place. And it's, it's just really, really beautiful work. So Kevin, where can people find those works? Oh, thanks. So there any online bookstore should have them. But also, if you live in a town that has an independent bookstore, that's always the best place mm. to make those connections, those community connections. Uh, and if they don't have the book, they can order it. And then my books are also available uh, uh, as audiobooks, which is a kind of a way I love to read. Mm-hmm. So also people, if they're like, oh, I don't like to read all the time or I don't have the time, uh, audiobooks are also available online as well. Perfect. And where can people find you, Kevin, if they if they're interested in, in learning more and following you a little more closely, where can they do that? Yeah, so I'm a I have www.wilsonkevin.com. There's a lot of Kevin Wilsons. They already took the website. So it's wilsonkevin.com and then I'm at Instagram at, at Kevin Wilson author. Uh and I'm off and on on that. I'm still learning. <laughs> I feel so old how social media works, but I've, I've found Instagram to be maybe the easiest way for me to connect with people. Perfect. That's great. And, and then finally, Kevin, do you have anything else that you would like to share in our time together today that we didn't already cover? I would just like to say again, like 
Brett, that, you know, writing is you, you do it by yourself. You're alone and you're working through these things. And so it's always just such a huge gift, uh, to be reminded that there are people out there that like care about the work, that read it, that give time and, and effort to it. And like I said, I really have loved listening to you on your podcast on the impact code. And I think what's been so lovely is how many different people in all these different walks of life, hearing the ways in which there's moments of connection of how they do things. And then these ways in which they individually have figured out what makes it work. And so I'm just really grateful that you would think of me to be a part of that conversation. So I really appreciate it. Yeah. The, the hunter is mine and it, it truly, that, that means the world to me. And I'm, I'm so glad that we had uh, such a great conversation today. So Kevin, thank you so much. And, and I look forward to hopefully talking again in the future. Maybe, maybe when your next book is ready to be released. Oh, I would love that, Brett. Thank you. It was a real pleasure. Okay. We'll talk soon, Kevin. Bye. Take care. And that's a wrap. I hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Kevin Wilson as much as I did. And I hope that you're able to take away some new perspective that maybe you can look at life or things that you're going through with a little different lens, just as I did after this podcast. Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time to share in this discussion, to share your perspective and all of the wisdom that you've gained and I just have to say, my friend, I love your perspective of the world, and it's an honor to be able to have had this conversation with you. Thank you. I also want to take a brief moment to thank you, the listener, for tuning into today's episode of The Impact Code. I say this a lot, but there's so much great content out there. It's a huge honor for me that you would choose to spend your time here listening to our conversations. If you did love today's episode or you just love the podcast, if you could do us one great big favor and leave us a five-star review, it only takes a few seconds to do that on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you're listening. And it makes a huge difference in people's ability to find our show. Remember that today's episode, just like every episode, is brought to you by Tower Community Bank. So another great way to support the podcast, to support the impact code, to support me, is by heading over to towercommunitybank.com today and checking out the accounts that we offer. We've got some great specials going on. Don't hesitate to ask about those. We're working hard every day here at Tower to revolutionize what it means to be a community bank, and we want you to be a part of that revolution. Go check us out today. And that is all that I have for today. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you back here next time for another episode of The Impact Code. Bye. Bye.